Pastor Harry has asked me to speak to you um, about my story, sharing my story. Um, we've been evaluating different prophets throughout the Old Testament, hearing their stories. Uh, how many of you have enjoyed hearing stories of prophets? Has that been good for you? Okay, cool. Good, good. Well, um, this is our last Sunday doing that because uh, I've run out of costumes. And... Uh, <laughs> Because we haven't run out of prophets. We have not run out of prophets. But today I am the final Old Testament prophet, the very last Old Testament prophet. Um, I was probably um, dressed the craziest. I looked the wildest. And um, I lived out in the desert um, for, for much of my ministry. I was the final Old Testament prophet, but I'm actually in the New Testament. And uh, some of you might be able to guess who I am. I am John the Baptist. And so I'm going to be sharing my story with you um, today. And actually, uh, not to brag, but um, Jesus himself said that I was the very best prophet ever. So, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, so obviously I'm very humble because I couldn't be the best prophet ever and not be humble. But I have to let you know that, that one of my titles is best prophet of all time. Um, you know, greatest prophet ever, however you want to ascribe that. But that was, that was me. Jesus said that Jesus said. Now, Jesus knows everything, right? Jesus knows not just my actions, but he knows my heart and he knows my intention. And Jesus said that I was the greatest prophet born of women. And so I, 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 I carry that title along with me proudly. I, I'm, I'm grateful that he thinks so highly of me. But it's a little bit strange to me that he would label me as the greatest prophet ever since I didn't really perform any miracles. Uh, the last guy who spoke uh, to you all last week, guy by the name of Elisha, um, he raised people from the dead. Um, he did some pretty amazing things in his time, and, and I didn't do any of those things. I, I never healed anybody. I never raised anybody from the dead. I never, I never performed any, any great or powerful miracles. I, I, I just I never did any miracles. And so it was surprising to me that I would be labeled and called the greatest prophet of all time. My, my story, though, is very um, specific. My job was very specific. My role in the kingdom was was a very, very specific role. And to start telling you my story, I, I really have to back it up and tell you my parents' story just a little bit. Uh, my parents uh, were faithful God followers. They were, uh, uh, my, my, my dad was, was, was a priest in the temple and uh, he, was, he was of the lineage of, of Aaron, the original priest in the, in, in, in the Old Testament with the, with the, 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 the construct that, that Moses set up in the wilderness. Uh, my, my dad was, a, was a, dis, a descendant, a direct descendant of Aaron. My mom was also a direct descendant of Aaron. They were both a part of this family that was serving people and loving God, serving people and loving God. And the Bible actually says, the Holy Spirit says about my parents that, that they were blameless. Now, that's, 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 pretty, that's pretty awesome, right? If you can live in such a way that even God says there's nothing to blame them for. They are, they are blameless because, once again, God doesn't just see your actions. He doesn't just see the outside. He sees your, your family life. He sees your life after you close the door. He sees, he sees you in secret, and he not only sees you in secret, but he knows what's going on in your mind and in your heart. And God looked down at my parents and said, they are blameless. And so I was born into an amazing Home, an amazing home that followed Jehovah, that believed in Jehovah, that served, selflessly served others. 
But what is interesting about my birth is that, is that my parents, for the longest time, could not conceive. They couldn't have children. And, and I think it's just one of the cruel, cruel ironies of life sometimes. Sometimes the people who are blameless are also barren. Have you ever noticed that? That sometimes it's, 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 the, it's the good people in life that, that experience some of the hardest things, some of the most difficult things happen to them. And for my parents, they were, they were blameless. They loved God fully and they served others completely. But at the same time, they, they, they were barren. They weren't able to have children. And all through the years in which all of their friends were having children and all of our community, with everyone their age was having children, they were left behind. And they prayed to the Lord many times and asked Him for a child. Because, because back in my day, especially, if you didn't have children, it wasn't just the loneliness that was difficult. It wasn't just the loss of, 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 of family and of grandchildren and, and all of that that, that that you all still enjoy. But it was actually it was a social stigma. So if you couldn't have children, that was really the one job that women were supposed to be able to do. And that was something that my mom was not able to do for years and so they many people question they said well is it because there's secret sin in their life right they always look so good on the outside but maybe there's something going on on the inside maybe there's things going on that we don't know God's judging them they're not they can't have kids because you know there's something wrong with them and we got all of that my family got all of that but through all of that my parents remained faithful to God and that is by the way that is where strength comes from strength comes from struggle some of the, the strongest, if you see people and if you know people that are strong, you can be guaranteed that they have gone through struggle. You don't get strength without struggle. You don't get, you don't, you don't get great strength without great struggle. And my parents, yes, they were blameless, and yes, they loved God, and yes, they loved people, but they also had personal pain. And that personal pain drove them to rely on God even more, drove them to, to pursue God even more drove them to to hear from God and to seek God and and that's and that's exactly what they did they continued to serve the Lord right on through their childbearing years uh, my, my my mom and dad were well past those years they were looking at retirement and just before retirement my dad got his chance to minister actually in the the, the main temple during one of our main feast days he, he had the honor to go into what is called the holy place and so uh, back in my day, you had, you, had, you, you had the temple that Solomon built, and it had been destroyed, and we had, we had rebuilt it a bit. Uh, and right in the epicenter of that was, was, was this basically rectangular-shaped courtyard. And this is, this is the outer place. This is, this is, this is the place that, that the animals would be killed and sacrificed for, for Jehovah. But then there was a room about probably about half the size of this stage that was, that was inside of that. And that was called the holy place. And it was a very dark place. There, weren't, there wasn't any lights except for, except for this candlestick with, with, uh, seven, with seven candles burning continuously. And it was a place of God's presence. And within the holy place, there was a veil that divided the holy place from the most holy place. So my dad had the opportunity to go into the holy place and, and be one of the, the priests that would, that would present incense on the altar of incense. And so this was something that God had commanded us to do. And, 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 and my dad is serving the people of Israel by doing this. And he goes into the holy place and he's putting the incense on the altar and he's, 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 he's lighting it so that it can burn and, and fill up the whole holy place with, this, with the smell of incense. And as he's doing that, an angel appears to him. 
An angel, and typically angels don't appear like in the corner of a room and then just come to you. They usually like poof right in front of you, you know, because they like the, 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 the shock factor. And so this angel just appears right in front of my dad, and my dad is just so scared that he falls on the angel, and uh, he just loses his, his knees buckle. And uh, the angel says, it's okay, it's okay, I'm, uh, you know, I, I've come with good news. You can stand up, listen to what I have to say. And the angel uh, proceeded to tell my dad. My dad thought that this was obviously a word for the people of Israel. This was going to be something significant for uh, the Jewish nation. But the angel actually had a very personal message for him. He said, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. And my dad knew exactly what he was talking about when he said that. Because the one prayer of my family, the one prayer of my mom and dad for years had been to have a child. He said, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. Did you know that sometimes, uh, even though your prayers haven't been answered, sometimes they have been heard? For 50 years, my dad and my mom's prayers had been heard. They hadn't been answered. There had been no, no promise. There had been no child. There had been no manifestation, but they had been heard. And that's why it's important that even when you pray and you, and you don't get it and nothing happens, to continue to pray. Scripture says to continue in prayer, to pray without um, stopping, to pray without ceasing, to continue in prayer, continue knocking, continue asking. Continue seeking the Lord because your prayers have been heard. And there came a day when God shifted modes from simply listening to uh, interjecting his power. And so the angel said, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard and you're going to have a son. And this son, he began telling my, my dad about me. He said, this son is going to be great. Well, hey, what can I say? He's going to be great, and he's going to prepare the way. He's going to have the greatest role of any prophet. He's not just going to talk about the Messiah. He's not just going to point to the Messiah. He's actually going to prepare the way for the Messiah to come to the people of Israel, for, for, for the Son of God to enter into planet Earth and do what God has been planning to do since the very beginning of time. And this man, you're going to name him John, which means God is gracious. You're going to name him John, and John is going to have the privilege, the, the wonderful opportunity to present Jesus, to present the Son of God to his generation. This is amazing news, of course, but my dad is human, just like you all. And my dad, like, when you live so long desiring something, that you see, it seems like you can never get. Then when you're told that you're going to get it, sometimes it's a little hard for you to believe. Sometimes it's too good to be true, right? And so my dad says, <laughs> that sounds amazing, but how can this be? Because my wife is well past childbearing years. I'm well past, I mean, we are entering into retirement years. We're, we're, we're grandparent stage. Like, how can this be? I had a question, right? I mean, and it's not, and it's not illogical to question. I mean, it's, it's strange. How could this be? How, after all these years, could we have a child? And the angel, whose name was Gabriel, uh, I don't think he was very happy with the questioning. He said, look, my name is Gabriel. I've come from the presence of God. How can you question what I'm saying to you? Because if God has said it, 
then, then that seals it. That's, that's the end of it. That's, 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 that is the punchline. There is no explanation. There is no, here's the plan that's going to make it happen. God has said it, therefore it is as good as already happening. And the angel said, but, 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 because you didn't believe me at first, you're going to walk out of here and you're not going to be able to talk at all until the child is born. And so my dad walked out of the holy place and people tried to ask him how it was going. He said, and they said, huh? Come again? What's that? Uh, he, he, he tried to talk and his voice just disappeared. <laughs> Say that to my face. And uh, he just... <laughs> People are not good at lip reading, lip reading, and uh, it's just difficult sometimes. He he, he tried to he tried to he tried to talk, but he, nothing was coming out. And so and so he said, "Give me give me a scroll, give me a piece of paper. I'm going to write this down." And he and he wrote out what had happened. He wrote out that an angel had talked to him and that they were going to have a son. And 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 my mom was so shocked that she just she she just couldn't believe it. So she went into hiding because she was afraid that this wasn't actually going to happen. And so and so so they they moved house. They moved out into the in, into the hills of Galilee, and and they waited to see if they would have a son. And sure enough, uh, my mom became pregnant, gray hairs and baby, on the way. And they were elated. What's more is they, they knew that it was for a special purpose. And this also marks my uniqueness because, you know, not everybody is, 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 is born under these special circumstances. But also, not everybody is actually related to Jesus. And so, uh, and so my, my, my mom welcomed one of her relatives to come over to her house one time, and her name was Mary. And Mary was pregnant. You may have heard of Mary. Mary was pregnant with the Messiah. And when I was in my mom's womb and I heard the voice of Mary, I jumped inside of my mom's womb. And the Bible says that even while I was in my mom's womb, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I became filled with the Holy Spirit. So I, I literally, I just, I just came out speaking in tongues. It's just, it's just how I, that's exactly how it went. I was filled with the Holy Spirit before I was even born. That's what the Bible says. I didn't say that. That's what the Holy Spirit said about me. That he filled me before I, was, before I even had my first breath. It's amazing. And so when I was born, I was marked out for God. And it's a, it's a heavy responsibility, by the way, to live with knowing that you are marked out by God, that you are chosen by God, and that you are filled with the Holy Spirit before you're even born, and that this is your role to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so I became very much uh, uh, focused on that. From an early age, I was, I was determined, I was diligent, I was making sure that I was not going to mess up, that I was not going to derail the call of God in my life. And so every little thing that I could do, I did it. Every, everything that God called me to do, I would do it. And so, and so I didn't Obviously, I didn't even want to cut my hair to look like those worldly Romans. Uh, instead, I just, I, 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 I just got some camel hair, and I went out into the desert, and I just spent time with the Holy Spirit. I spent time with God. And, and I ate wild locusts and wild honey, um, catching bugs. I, I refused even to eat nice things, right, things that tasted good, because I wanted to just completely 
pour myself in the work and the calling that God had for me. But for 30 years, God was silent. Never spoke to me about what my role would be. Never, never told me about what I would be when I was growing up. And so people would ask me, and I'd say, I don't know, but it's going to be awesome. And so, you know, I, 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 had, I was still, you know, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't gone out on my own. All of my friends were having their own jobs and marriages and things like that. But I was saving myself for what God was going to call me to do. And sure enough, right around the age of 30, God spoke to me and said, okay, now is the time to bring this message to Israel. Bring the message of repentance. And that was perfect for me because I had lived basically a life of repentance. So for me to come up to people and say, hey, you're doing wrong, you need to change, that was a normal message for me. I was used to thinking like that and living like that. So it was not a problem at all. And I, I was very bold and I just told folks, man, like if they were, if they, if they were living in sin, I, I just told them straight out, right? I, I didn't, I, like I, I was not a Texan. So I didn't like, you know, imply that maybe things were slightly off, you know. I mean, I, <laughs> Texans I have found, just in my 30 seconds of being here, I have found that Texans have, you know, two different ways of saying no. One way is to say no, and the other way is to say yes. Both can mean no. It's very confusing. So <laughs> for those who are not from around here, I just, I just have to tell you, if they say bless your heart, they're not really attempting to send blessings in the direction of your heart. That's southern speak for you're not so bright, and we all sort of know it. So, like, if you're not from around here, you don't know that, oh, they're so sweet, they're so nice, yeah, they're blessing my heart. No, they're not. They're not blessing your heart. And sometimes, you know, like, you ask them, I was, <laughs> your, your pastor one time was carrying on a conversation with another pastor, and um, uh, he was talking to him about this, about this particular thought. And uh, 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 the other pastor had been doing something, and it wasn't something wrong morally or, or, or anything like that. It was just something that... Um, well, basically, when, when, when he prayed, he always did this one thing, and it was, it was sort of bugging your pastor. And so your pastor talked to him about it and said, you know, that's kind of repetitious. I don't know why you do that. And so he just he said, oh, yes, 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 that's fine. And, and he seemed to be completely agreeing with your pastor. And then at the end of the conversation, he said, but if you think about it from this way. And then he just completely disagreed with everything that he had just agreed with. And your pastor said, huh. Hold up. You were just nodding your head, saying yes. Mm, that's a good point. Oh, I like that. And now you're like totally, totally unconvinced. But that's how Texans somehow say no. They say, hmm, yeah, that sounds great. Um, I'll meet you there. And then, whoop, they're not there. But that's just how it goes. But that's not me. I wasn't Texan. I, I wasn't even Yankee. I was just even further beyond that. Um, I just told people like it was. I told them exactly what they were doing wrong. I spoke to Roman soldiers. I wasn't, I wasn't scared of their swords. I, I knew that God had a calling on my life. And so I, 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 I called them out because they would often abuse their position of authority. And they, and they would often steal from people because they knew that they could. So I called them out. I called out the tax collectors because um, I wasn't really paying taxes anyway. So I was like, I don't have a job. So I called them out. You guys are taking more money than you ought to be taking. I called out the religious leaders because they definitely weren't going to hire me in the temple. I called out every single person in Israel. I, I spoke to what was wrong in their life because that was my job. That was my role. And I called them out and, and God used me in that way. And I was, I was happy to be used in that way because that was my life already. I was already so focused on making sure that I didn't do anything wrong. 
This was good. This was a good ministry. I prepared the way for the Lord. I prepared the way for Jesus. And one day, uh, Jesus came to one of my rallies. Jesus came to one of my crusades. Uh, he, had, he had read my book, Jesus Is, and uh, he wanted, wanted me to sign it for him. And uh, so that was, that was, that was an honor. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he came to one of my crusades, and, and, and then I had an altar call. And I said, all right, everybody who wants to be saved today, I want you to come down right now, and we're going to baptize you so you can go public with your faith. And Jesus, maybe you didn't hear that, Jesus responded to my altar call, I'm just saying. And he said, I want to be saved today. And I said, well, uh, hold up, hold up. <laughs> you, I think you're already in. I, I could be wrong, but, uh, you know. You know, like, I, I think you already believe in you, don't you? I mean, you pretty much already believe in you, right? You have faith in you. Okay, you're good. But no, Jesus said, no, no, I need to be baptized by you. And I said, why do you need to go public with your faith? Like, I am not worthy. I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. But Jesus said, no, 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 I need to be baptized by you. And so I baptized the Son of God into the water in the name of you. Shoop, brought him up. And when he came out of the water, everybody didn't hear it, but I got to hear it. I was, I was standing right there in the water with him, and I heard a voice above us that thundered. Uh, other people heard thunder, but I heard a voice within it, and it said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and landed on his shoulder. And it was an amazing, amazing moment. I got to start the ministry of Jesus. And after that point, I told my disciples, I said, look, you need to stop following me. You need to follow him because, and this is what I told my disciples, God has shown me that he is the Messiah. This, this guy, Jesus, that we just baptized, he is the son of God. And not only that, but he is the lamb of God. And I was the first person to point that out because God had shown me that. God, the Holy Spirit had shown me that, that Jesus was not just a good teacher. He wasn't just somebody who was, who was, who was going to come and start an, a, a new kingdom here on this world and take over the kingdom from the Romans. No, no, no. Jesus was the Lamb of God. Now in, now, in our system, the Lamb was the thing that everybody brought to be slaughtered and sacrificed for the sins of the people. But God had shown me that Jesus was God's Lamb, that God was bringing himself to be slaughtered for the sins of all of humanity. I told my disciples, I said, you know, people have this whole Messiah thing wrong. They think he's going to conquer, but he's actually going to die. Because God had shown me that. God had shown me. And not only that, but God had shown me the way that my ministry would go. And so some people, some of my disciples were a bit concerned when Jesus started preaching and traveling and healing people doing all these amazing miracles that I never got to do, doing all these miracles, uh, people started attending his rallies much more than mine. People started attending his seminars and his focus groups, and, and, and everybody was, was clamoring after Jesus, and some of my disciples were a bit jealous about that. And so they said, John, this just isn't right, right? You were here first. You're the one who baptized him. Like, your ministry ought to be taking off. And I said, no, no, no. This is the way God told me it was going to be. Jesus' ministry is going to increase. My ministry is going to decrease. It's okay. It's part of the plan. I loved plans. You love, you probably love plans too. Plans help us with security. Plans help us 
mitigate the future. Plans help us pave a way forward. And my life was one long extended plan. From before my birth, it was already planned out. And my parents made sure I knew it. Even my ministry was planned out. And God made sure that I knew it. I love plans. But the problem with plans is that often plans can sometimes, if we're not careful, plans can, can take the place of God in our life. We can come to worship our plan more than we worship God. And God, I don't know, there's something about God that he's just a little, he's weird about having other gods in our lives. <laughs> he gets territorial about us. He gets sort of possessive about it. I, he, he thinks that like he owns us or something. I, it's, it's probably it. But, but he, 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 he gets jealous for us. And he gets jealous of anything that comes into our life that we worship ahead and above him. And for me, I think if there was anything, it would have been my plans. God had planned out my life, had shared with me so much that you can begin to rely on your plans more so than you rely on God. And that's when my plans quickly changed. The Lord had told me my ministry would decrease, his ministry would increase. Uh, the Lord had told me that, that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was the Son of God. But what the Lord never told me was what was going to happen after my ministry decreased. One day I was preaching, some Roman soldiers came, and they said, John, you're under arrest. I said, for what? And they said, well, for preaching against Herod. You said some things about Herod. You called him out on some stuff. He doesn't like that. He's in charge. You're going to jail. And by jail, it was not like the jail you all know. This was a Roman dungeon. It's a Roman prison. So they would build their jails underground and reserve the lowest portion of the jail for the worst offender or the one that Herod didn't like the most, which was me. So they threw me into the lower portion where there was no sunlight. Uh, there was no more wild honey or crickets. There were dead rats and an occasional bit of, of old water, stale water, that they would bring down to me. And as I sat down there in the Roman dungeon, I thought for sure that, that Jesus would, would come by. Right, Jesus was gaining influence. The crowds were very interested in what he had to say. Surely Jesus is going to come visit me. Surely Jesus is going to talk to Herod. We knew that Herod wanted to talk to Jesus. He was fascinated with this miracle worker. Surely Jesus is going to help me. I mean, I did so much for him, right? I, I set him up in his ministry. I, I pointed people to him. I paved the way for him, spent my entire life. And, 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 but this, this came as a shock for me. And sometimes when you live your life according to plans, the stuff comes out of left field that's not in the plane. And for me, the bottom of a Roman dungeon was never in the plane. I sat there knowing that if Jesus didn't save me, I would be killed. Uh, the political prisoners of that day were not kept very long, usually beheaded publicly. So I knew what was coming for me if somebody didn't do something. It's one of the most frustrating feelings in the world to be, to be sitting in the bottom, to be sitting at rock bottom, 
wonder why God's not doing it. Because Jesus never came by. He never sent a thinking of you card. Uh, he never sent a disciple to go talk to Herod and maybe we could work something. It, Jesus continued with his ministry. When I, when, when, when I heard one of my disciples came and, and shared with me, and I said, what's Jesus doing? They said, well, he's, you know, he's going around preaching and healing the sick and you know, just loving on people because that's who he is. I said, yeah, but what about me? <laughs> like, like loving on those people is great and everything, but like I have been closer to Jesus than anybody else on this planet. I was filled with the Holy Spirit before I was born. I, I've, I've been in the wilderness waiting for this day. I set up Jesus' ministry. I, lay, I paved the way for him. What about me? And the disciples said, well, we don't know. He's not doing anything for you. It's interesting isn't it when you feel like you've done so much for God and then it seems like God's not doing much for you. Maybe you all are too spiritual to have ever felt that way. Maybe you're too filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you were filled with the Holy Spirit before you were in your mother's womb. I don't know how that works, but um, maybe, <laughs> maybe you just have so much of Jesus that you've never felt like God left you in a dungeon. But that's how I felt. I felt, I felt the weight of being forsaken, not by friends and family. You can get over that. Some people are just kind of dumb anyway. They don't even know what they're doing. But God isn't dumb. God isn't unaware. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't forget to text me or call me. No, God must have done this intentionally. He must have, if he's God then I'm in the, the bottom of this Roman cell. This had to have been done intentionally. And if he did this intentionally, if he intentionally put me in the bottom of this cell and never told me about it, told me about all the rest of my ministry, but forgot to tell me the part where I was going to lose my head. <laughs> what kind of God is that anyway? What kind of God intentionally puts you in the bottom of a Roman dungeon when, when you've been incredibly faithful and, and Jesus himself said you were the greatest prophet ever. What benefit is it if you're the greatest prophet ever if this is still the way God treats you? Maybe you've never felt that way, but that's how I felt. And I felt like giving up. I felt despair. And as one of your all's great movies, Anne of Green Gables, Okay, those of you that have not actually saved, you don't know what that movie is, but Anne of Green Gables, Anne is talking to her, her aunt or grandma or somebody, and she says, um, she says, I, I'm in the, the depths of despair. I'm in the pits of despair. And I've always liked um, the old lady's response. She says, no, to despair is to turn your back on God. And this is where I was. This is what I felt. So I've asked him to put up a, a slide of the scripture that, that sort of describes what I did at this, at this very low point. It's found, um, I believe it's Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 11. I sent some disciples to go ask Jesus. I sent some disciples to ask Jesus the question that was on my mind is, are you the one or should we look for another? And this is what Jesus said. Jesus answered them. He said, go tell John what you hear and, and see. Tell them that the blind 
receive their sight, and that the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And verse 6 was especially for me. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is Jesus' response to me. I'm in the dungeon. I'm feeling despair. I'm feeling the weight of loss of hope. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling all these things. And can I just say to you, it's okay to feel like you want to quit. I don't know if anyone's ever given you that permission before, but Jesus didn't call me out on that. Jesus didn't say, hey, you know what, uh, John, you're really losing it, dude. You need to get things, you need to get act together, figure things out down there in the dungeon. You need to come up to me with a better attitude. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't reprimand me for doubting him. Jesus didn't reprimand me for feeling that he had forsaken me. Jesus didn't even speak to that at all. Why? Because it's okay to feel like you've been abandoned. It's okay to feel like you want to quit. In fact, I mean, if, if, if your employer forced you to always, to never feel like you wanted to quit, you'd be out of a job right now. Like every Monday, you'd be, you'd be out of a job. It's okay to feel like you want to quit as long as you know you're not going to quit. Because there's a, there, is, there is a chasm, there is a, a wide gap between what you feel and who you are. Maybe no one's ever told you that before, but, but you can get your feelings hurt and you not be hurt. You can, you, can, you can feel like quitting and not quit. You can feel like being in despair and not actually be in despair. You can feel like doubting and not actually doubt. You can feel like crying. You can feel like weeping. You can feel, you can feel broken and not actually be broken. Because how you feel does, is, not, is not a reference on who you are. How you feel is a reference of where you are. And when I'm in, when I'm 30 feet under the ground, at <laughs> the bottom of a, of a Roman dungeon facing a beheading that was about to come, there's no other feeling than the feeling that I was feeling. So God didn't call me out for my feeling. God didn't speak to my feeling. He didn't condemn my feeling. And I don't think you should feel condemned for your feelings either. Now the enemy comes in, oh, 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 you felt like you're, oh, 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 you felt that, so that's pretty much the same thing as doing it, so um, I guess you're pretty much out. And the enemy will take your feelings and he'll try to convince you your feeling is your reality. But you are bigger than your feelings. You are different than your feelings. Your feeling is not in the driver's seat of your life. Your feeling is not driving the car the direction of your life. Your choices are driving your life. Your choices determine who you are. And yes, I felt uh, abandoned. Yes, I felt uh, doubtful of even who Jesus was. I said, look, are you really the Messiah? Yes, I was feeling that. That's absolutely how I was feeling. But that is not who I was. I was still John. I was still the one who was paving the way for the Messiah. And if you want to know when exactly Jesus told everybody that I was the greatest prophet ever, it was right after this verse.
Thank you, Myron. See, I knew he hadn't seen the last of you. <laughs> I need back up here now. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't question. Jesus didn't question my worth when I questioned his. Jesus didn't question my value when I questioned his. In the very moment, the very lowest moment really of my life, and I'm down at the bottom of the dungeon and I'm saying, God, where are you? God, I'm not even sure that you're the one. I'm not even sure that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the very moment when Jesus said about me, oh, hey, by the way, guys, John is the greatest prophet ever. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that when I'm thinking the worst about him, he's speaking the best about me. <laughs> but this is the key right here. <clears throat> Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You've heard of being offended by people, but people can be jerks, right? So that makes sense to get offended by people because people aren't always perfect. God is perfect. How could we be offended by God? Well, it's simple. When God wrecks our plans, <laughs> when he comes in to the way that we thought life was going to be and he turns it on its head, and we say, hold up, that's, that wasn't, that wasn't. Because he is God, because he is sovereign, we know that he could, he could stop anything, start anything. He could do anything that is on his wish list. It's just, boom, it's not a problem. And then bad stuff happens in our life. And then we find ourselves in the pits of despair. And then we find ourselves 30 feet under the ground in a Roman dungeon facing execution and it's and it's funny it's funny isn't it how i was never offended when other people found themselves in a roman dungeon i was never like oh god's not good because something bad happened over there <laughs> but when it affected me when it came home to me when it affected my parents when it affected their hopes and dreams for me, when it affected my comfort, when it affected my plans, suddenly, wait a minute, I don't know if God's good. And that is the temptation to become offended, to feel like that God has done something that's not entirely right. You say, well, how do you, how do you stop from doing that? If you feel that way, that's how you feel, and that's true. You understand, though, that how you feel is not who you are. That you have a choice. You can let the feelings drive your life, or you can decide. You can make a choice to trust Jesus anyway. To trust Jesus anyway. This is significant for people all across this room, facing all different scenarios and all different situations of different brevity and of different weight. None of you, though, are in the bottom of a dungeon. <laughs> so from a guy who's been there, let me tell you, the answer is to trust Jesus anyway. The answer is to trust Jesus in spite of how you feel, in spite of how you think it should have went, to trust Jesus 
anyway. Because really what he's saying is, blessed is the one who can, who can still follow me and let me do what I want to do. Let me make my choices and how I'm going to run the world. Let me, not your plans, not your hopes, not your dreams, let me decide what's best for you. That's one of the hardest things for us humans to do, but it's called faith. And so I'd like to offer that to every single person here. Well, if you would just close your eyes for a moment and bow your heads for just, just a second. Some of you maybe have never put faith in Jesus and you've been running life on your own and that's not working out so well. I would suggest that you trust Jesus anyway, right now, today, that you decide to put your life in his hands. Let him call the shots. But some of you are facing really difficult situations in your life and yeah, you've put your faith in Jesus, but this is trying your faith like nothing before. I would suggest to you to make a choice the same choice that you made before, just make it again, that I'm going to trust Jesus anyway. And so if that's you, if you're going to trust Jesus anyway, would you raise your hand and just tell me that's for me, that's where I'm at, I need that. Yeah, that's awesome. All around this room, Lord, we come to you, and you just pray in your own way, but this is how I would pray. I would say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Forgive me for leaning on other things, on my own understanding, <laughs> on my plans. Forgive me for, for being the boss of my life. I welcome you into my heart. I ask you to be the boss of my life. I am not the CEO of my plans. I am not the CEO of my future or my family's future. I am not the chief breadwinner. I am not, I, I'm not going to carry the weight of that anymore. I put that on you. I put that on the one who is capable of carrying me throughout my life. And I lean on you. trust in Jesus 